Well, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me tonight to 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. I wanted to think for a few moments on this passage. This is going to be a brief message tonight. Um, These have been some busy days and a unique time, but actually very appropriate the text tonight. Uh, In some ways, couldn't be more appropriate for where the season we find ourselves in as a church as we learn about the building of the kingdom under Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 9, and a few weeks ago, I believe, we looked at verses 1 through 9 as God meets with Solomon. Uh, He has heard Solomon's prayer. He repeats his covenant to David that, uh, that calling Solomon and his sons to obedience and that he will bless them if, if him if he obeys. He will, he will rebuke him and, and severely chastise the nation if they turn from God. And now we turn from that section where the Lord meets with Solomon. And in verses 10 through the end of the chapter, in verse 28, we have an accounting of some of the activities of the kingdom. And there's various details, and we'll consider them together tonight. As I've been doing, uh, before I read the text in just a moment, before, I, if you're visiting with us in the evenings, I've been reading from the, uh, the Legacy Standard version. It's, it's basically similar to the New American Standard, and um, whatever Bible you have, I'm sure you'll, it'll follow right along with it. One of the major differences is that it translates the Hebrew for the name of God in the Old Testament. Um, instead of just Lord, uh, it translates it for what it is, Yahweh or Jehovah, but Yahweh. And um, that can be, I know that can be a little alarming for people. Yahweh, you know, I, I haven't heard that. Well, uh, there's a history to that, why English translators didn't translate it. They just put capital L, capital O, capital R, D. Um, but I, th- I thought in this section it's been helpful to, uh, to read from this, this new translation because I think it's, it's very, uh, helps us get a sense of God's dealing with Solomon and the kingdom at that time. So let me begin by reading in verse 10. Now it happened at the end of the 20 years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of Yahweh and the king's house, Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress, timber, and gold according to all his desire, that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came down from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they were not right in his eyes. And he said, What are these cities which you have given me, my brother? So they were called the land of Kabul to this day. And Hiram sent to the king 100 talents of gold. Now this is the account of the forced labor which King Solomon raised up to build for the house of Yahweh, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer and the lower Beth Haran, Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness, in the land of Judah, and all the storage cities which Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land under his rule. As for all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, 
the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the sons of Israel, namely their sons who were left after them in the land whom the sons of Israel were unable to devote to destruction. From them Solomon raised up forced laborers to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel, for they were men of war, his servants, his princes, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief deputies who were over Solomon's work, 550, who had dominion over the people doing the work. As soon as Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her, then he built the Milo, and three times in a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he built to Yahweh, burning incense with them on the altar which was before Yahweh. So he finished the house. King Solomon also made a fleet of ships in Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent his servants with the fleet of ships, sailors who knew the sea, along with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and took from there 420 talents of gold and brought it to King Solomon. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for all your word, and we thank you for this portion. We pray that tonight as we meditate upon it for a few moments, that you would grant understanding and that your word would continue to shape and inform us and guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a transition section here from chapter 9 and chapter 10 into when we begin to see uh, Solomon and his reign kind of go downhill. But that hasn't happened yet. And one of the things we need to be to do, we need to do to be careful about is here is not read into this passage here. Some of the things we know that are going to go wrong. Uh, It's okay. We've cheated. We've read read ahead in our Bibles. Maybe we have read Uh, Ecclesiastes and we know that Solomon really messes up but at this point and at this juncture there's not much indication that there's anything negative upon this language Uh, this this these what God is doing here now we as moderns and at a great distance we are uncomfortable with this language about forced labor and all that and it's it's very tempting for us from our very comfortable room here tonight thousands of years later to look down our noses and say tis tis you know forced labor um uh, you know we we got to be careful with that uh we need to look at the big perspective and recognize that in some ways it was a mercy that the, some of these folks were left and and uh, there is no indication here that Solomon was doing anything wrong by uh, calling these individuals uh, who were really the enemies of God's people to serve him and uh, to build the, the buildings. Uh, Solomon at this point did not enslave his own people, which was the right thing to do. We know at the end of his reign, again, after he dies, the people of Israel will go to Solomon's son and say, hey, uh, your dad uh, really put on our backs a, a heavy load. And uh, so we know that Solomon was, was driven in his building projects, and we know that in Ecclesiastes as well. But here in these verses we've read tonight, we're kind of getting a description of just ordinary life in the kingdom, 
Just the things that are going on. In chapter 8, we had this glorious and this moving scene of the temple and its completion and the glory of God, the cloud filling the temple and, and this dedicatory prayer by Solomon that was just incredible. I mean, we, we could spend months on that prayer and what we learn of God. It was a, it's a very moving and high and lofty portion of scripture. And then in the opening nine verses of chapter nine, there's this interaction with God and, and Solomon. And that's, that's very interesting. And, and God recounts his covenant promises to David. And then we come to all this detail about this guy, Hiram, up in Tyre. And, and we've got forced labor, which is a little uncomfortable. And, and we've got the, the wife uh, of Solomon, the daughter of the king of Egypt. And that's kind of, you know, we're not so sure about that. And, and these different things going, we don't know what to do with this passage. Well, one of the things that I think we are meant to do is to see that God is fulfilling his promise to bless Solomon and he's blessing him in the ordinary working out of the day-to-day details of the kingdom. Uh, Hiram is the king entire, which is just to the north of Israel and far from the scriptures looking down upon Solomon's relationship with Hiram, it's actually lifted up here as part of Solomon's wisdom. It was very wise of Solomon to cultivate a good relationship with Hiram. Uh, it's pretty good to have a friend to the north of you when you're surrounded by massive nations to the south, Egypt, and, and the nations to the north, uh, east, It's good to have a a neighbor who's a friend. Uh, Some of you know uh, how unpleasant it is when your neighbor is not a friend uh, and and not so nice. And I've had that experience. We've had that experience. It just just makes life miserable when you have a miserable neighbor. Well, Hiram wasn't a miserable neighbor. He was generally friendly to Solomon. They cultivated a a good uh, relationship. This is good. This is good politics. We, we critique our presidents for, in part, their foreign policy, and we should, because how they engage in foreign policy uh, has a massive impact, as we're seeing right now in Ukraine. Uh, we need wise people in leadership who can cultivate wise relationships with foreign dignitaries. And so Ho- Solomon does that. This isn't the first time we've heard of Hiram. He's the one who sends the timbers and trees uh, that are used for the building of the temple and Solomon's uh, palace. So they've cultivated this, uh, you know, working relationship, mutually beneficial to each nation. Solomon and the kingdom of Israel has lots of food and so forth. They can send up to Tyre. To Hiram, Hiram has lots of good trees and lumber, skilled workmen that he can send down to Solomon for his building projects. Everything is kosher. Uh, it's good. Um, except uh, there's this little wrinkle when, when Solomon apparently uh, is uh, running a little short, maybe on funds, and he has to pay back Hiram, and, and he decides to give, verse 11, 20 cities up in the land of Galilee. Now, we shouldn't think of these as cities you know by cities here the word is I mean these are villages these are these are little towns little villages 
And if there's anything negative in this text, maybe we're saying, mm, Solomon, what's he doing giving away some of the land that God gave to Israel? That's, that's a fair question. But it's just almost comical in a sense because Hiram goes over and looks at these villages that Solomon has given to him as part. And he's like, you know, Kabul, what's this? You know, what's, what's this, Solomon? I mean, come on, this is, that, that's giving us an indication of how much wealth Solomon has and Hiram has that even 20 towns is kind of like, you know, that's nothing. You're not giving me anything good here, Solomon. And yet, even though there's this little uh, hiccup in their, in their relationship, Hiram still, in verse 14, sends to Solomon 120 talents of gold. And then down in verse 27, we see Hiram is involved with Solomon in the shipping trade business down on the sea, down in the Red Sea. And so Hiram is a pagan foreign king, but part of Solomon's wisdom that God gives to him is evidenced in how he relates, for example, to this one significant foreign leader, nearby neighbor, but how he cultivates that relationship. And it's partly through just the the um, the wisdom of Solomon and these foreign relations that the wealth that Solomon accumulates comes to him. It, it doesn't just drop down out of heaven, right? So that's how we can tend to think sometimes. We pray for God to give certain things. We wait, and we should, and we should pray, and we should wait. But we also got to work. And this place right now, people have been working very hard. Now, we could have had as many prayer meetings as you wanted to have. I mean, we, we could have spent hours. I can promise you that if we had just prayed, we would not have gotten anything done and we would not have met here this morning. In other words, the two-by-fours, the two-by-sixes, the sheetrock, the mud, all of that was part of the spiritual work of building the building up of this church. These walls are not the church. We understand that. But that labor, that work, that mundane stuff is all part and parcel of that work. And so we should be careful that we, we don't think and divide completely in our minds uh, the worship of God, the preaching of Scripture and prayer as somehow um, good and pleasing in God's sight and the more mundane stuff, painting and and Dave's down here, something of painting and, and other things as, well, you know, just kind of, it is what it is. No, 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 it's all critical. It's all part and parcel of the building of the kingdom. And that's partly what's going on here. We're, we're getting a little uh, look behind the scenes as to the workings of the kingdom and the building up of the kingdom. It took the wisdom of Solomon. It took a lot of work. And I bet as we now look at how all these projects got done, and these projects were important. Um, of course, the temple in verse 15, the house of Yahweh, Solomon's temple palace, you know, we might think, well, that's a little selfish. Um, I don't know, maybe it was a little over the top, but, you know, that was, it's kind of like the White House. It's not a grandiose building, but we understand that that building is really not for the president. Some of the presidents haven't understood that. 
But we understand it's not for the president and his family. It's a symbolic of the strength of the nation. And that's similarly Solomon's palace is, is like that. It's, it's a symbol not only of his own wealth, but of the strength of the nation and God's blessing on the nation. But then there are these other locations in verse 15, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer. These are all absolutely pivotal strategic locations for the defense of Israel. Um, Megiddo is, is a, uh, Hazor, Megiddo are, uh, and Giza are, are at these pivotal um, points along the main thoroughfares going through Israel from Egypt up to the land that will be the Assyrian um, uh, areas, uh, rather empire. And so these are critical. Uh, they are places that if Solomon does not build them up, does not uh, make them into strong defenses, Israel will be vulnerable. And so this is part of the work too. Um, and we see God's blessing in, in Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, going up. I mean, this pagan king, he doesn't care about the God of Israel, but God uses him to go up, capture this key location, Gezer, and to uh, give it as a dowry to his daughter, um, yeah, I don't have anything like that to give to my daughter when she's married this summer, but uh, I don't have a city or uh, I don't, anything like that. But, you know, that's something. He gave it as a gift and um, to Solomon's wife, to his, Pharaoh's daughter. And so this is a gift. In other words, uh, if Pharaoh's going to give his daughter to the king of Israel, he's going to help and say, see that Israel is secure and safe. It's quite a gift. But this is a good thing. This is the work of God in strengthening the nation. And so Solomon, verse 17, rebuilds these locations that maybe had been used by other enemies or had just been let go over the years, and he builds all of them. He builds storage cities, verse 19. Uh, That is for the security of the nation. When times of famine come, they are in a strong position. When the markets rise and fall, because they have these stores, they're in a position to, uh, to be strong. We're, we're all scratching our heads, I think, right now. At, well, anyways, I won't get into politics, but, you know. Uh, anyways, oil and gas, and we have plenty, and why we aren't um, for the security of our nation tapping into that more. But, well, we know why. <laughs> there, anyways, so there... <laughs> You know, there's, this, is, this is practical. This is important. This is part of God building up the nation and blessing Solomon. Again, we, we are hearing some details here in verses 20 through 22. How did all this work get done? Well, um, Solomon put to work the descendants of the enemies of Israel, but he did not at that point, verse 22, make slaves of the sons of Israel. But they were to serve in his armies and his various roles, the various roles and services of the nation. It's a lot of details. It's probably a lot of committee meetings there. I mean, Solomon has a lot of meetings with different people. Um, They probably didn't meet at, you know, Tucker's or the Circle restaurant. But this doesn't happen by just a wave of a wand. There's a lot of administrative work here behind the scenes. 
There's a lot of organizing. There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of conversations. And the nation of Israel does not, is not built up apart from some of these, this mundane work. We see in verse 25 that, that Solomon is at this point continuing to be faithful to God alone. He continues to burn offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he built to Yahweh, the God of Israel. There's no indication here yet that he's worshiping the gods of his wife or Egypt from Egypt or the gods of other nations. And so we're getting indication here that in the midst of all of this uh, mundane administrative uh, details that Solomon is remaining faithful and that he is worshiping the Lord. And then we see in verses 26 through 28 that God is blessing him with great wealth. Solomon, uh, the kingdom of Israel, now extends all the way down to the south to the Red Sea. They actually have a port, and they are able there to begin sending out ships under the guidance. Now, Israelites don't know how to sail. They don't, they don't you know, there's no water. I mean, the Sea of Galilee is like a little lake, a little pond. And so they need the help again of Hiram and his men. And so Hiram sends them down and Solomon is wise and says, great, fantastic. We'll go in this together. And, and they, uh, wherever Ophir is, we don't know where it is, but wherever it is, it had a lot of gold. And so Solomon over the years acquires tons of gold, not, not, not pounds, not hundreds of pounds, Tons and tons, literally tons, of pure, solid gold, as we'll learn in the next chapter. Well, how did that come about? Did God just rain gold from out of the sky? Oh, Lord, please bless us and give us what we need. And it just kind of falls from the sky. Uh-uh. Nope. Guys on ships, sailing, ventures, taking risk, working through all those details. All this is part of the building of the kingdom. Now, maybe by now, as we've just kind of wandered around meditating or reflecting on the text, maybe by now you've picked up the main point that we can take away from this. Um, We have a lot of work to do. And some of that work, the core of that work, is the preaching of God's word, the study of God's word, the hearing of God's word. Our worship on this day is part of our service. Remember this morning that we are priests we are a house, not a, not a physical house, but we are a, a people for the praise of God to offer up acceptable sacrifices. But to be a priest in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it, it was a lot of work. Slaughtering the animals, all, going through all that, setting up and tearing down the, the tabernacle and maintaining the, and all. It's a lot of work. This worship of God was a glorious, privileged work. So that is part of our work, is worship and prayer and preaching. And in part of it is praying tonight. We must pray. We must ask God to bless this work and to help us. But all of the little details that you are all engaged in to varying levels, young and old, men and women, it's all part of the building up of the body of Christ. It's, it's, you see, it really is. I mean, I hope, I hope you know that. I mean, some men, uh, you know, did some of the construction on the walls. There were meals here. I don't know how, where they appeared from. Uh, some of the, the women here, no, they didn't just appear. <laughs> they, they took time and, 
and oh, I have a meal tonight to bring for the for the for the workers over there. I'm sure that may have happened a couple of times. You know, and that took time. That took investment. Um, all the little details, the cleaning of this facility, the on and on it goes. It's it's part of the work. And I hope that we're encouraged tonight that God, in his remembering of his people and the building up of his church, that these works of service are not forgotten to him. That they're part of the testimony of his faithfulness working in and through us that which is pleasing in his sight. And so take heart, whatever your role, maybe you're not a public preacher or teacher. Of course, the scriptures say, not let, let not many of us become teachers, brethren. But whatever your role, whether it's sweeping out front or whether it's, um, you know, sometimes something that nobody even knows that you did, that you did to help the church, to serve the church, that all of these things are parting of building up the body of Christ. And... Um, now that we have a building, this is a very practical message for us because we have work to do. I don't know who's going to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> We're going to work on that. There's, there's men who are working a schedule on that. But is that important? Yeah, very important. It is. Um, all these little things are part of the work that God is doing among us. And so I hope you're encouraged that as we meet to worship, as we meet to pray, but then also in these days as we continue to have uh, ongoing into the spring and into the summer, I'm sure, various work projects and various responsibilities and various needs that, that we ought to have joy. And, and that's what I want to leave tonight, is, is this is a joyous passage. This isn't, you know, um, this is not a negative passage saying, oh no, Solomon's starting to go down. And some of us, that's our personality, and I can, you know, that's it. But no, no, we're not there yet. Easy, we're not there yet. This is just joy. He's prayed to God to bless the nation. God has met with him, and Solomon at this point is walking in faithfulness, and God is just blessing them. The nation is flourishing. It's being built up. It's being secured. It's being established. It's being enriched. And all of this is good. It's very, very good. And it's happening in and through some of the mundane, administrative, day-to-day tasks. And it's joyous. All you have to do is go back and look at the days of Judges and compare them to chapter 9, verses 10 through 28. Uh, These verses, what we've read tonight, look pretty good. God is faithful to build up his kingdom and there's a time for rejoicing and these were days of rejoicing in Israel. They were cause for joy and these are days cause for joy in our church. I appreciated uh, in his commentary, it's actually related to the text for next week, but I think Dale Ralph Davis again uh, in his humor just pointed out that you know some of us, as I alluded to just a moment ago, are always you know, well, we got to be careful. Well, we got to watch out. Well, we <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But Dale Ralph Davis pointed out there's times just for joy, <laughs> just, just pure joy. Today is one of those days. Today is one of those days just to rejoice in what the Lord has done. Sure, there's things for us to be uh, careful about, for us to be praying about, 
to be concerned about, but this is a day of rejoicing. Because by his kindness and providence, he has worked through untold number of little conversations, discussions, labors, services, and all these gifts that you have given to bring us to this point. And I will tell you that this church, by God's grace, is more established and secure at this point at any other in its 12 years history. And you, you can argue with me on that. That's fine. We can argue. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the truth. Okay, I know the building is not our security. I know we have to still depend on God. But this is good that we have a fixed, stable place where we can meet at any time we want, where we can meet for fellowship. We can have a men's breakfast Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday if we want. We can have a funeral. We can have a wedding. This is good, and it is a gift from God. Amen? Let's pray. So, God, we continue just to rejoice today. We rejoice in what you have done and what you are doing. And we have known a joy, not only in the times of singing and preaching, but in the working together. Those who have worked here, cleaning or building or any aspect, there's been a joy evident in this body, a gift of your Holy Spirit as each member of the body has considered his or her part in the building up of this body in love. And we are amazed. Though we are little, though we are relatively small, we recognize that it's God who is at work in us, doing that which is pleasing in his sight. And so we worship you. We rejoice. We know that in the days ahead, we know there are trials. We know there are needs. We know there are difficulties. But you have brought us through many, many difficulties before, and you will bring us through. And so we thank you for this day that we will remember for a long time when after so many years, so many prayers, so much work, so much sacrificial giving, so much waiting upon you, that you brought us to a place where, where we're here tonight and we are enjoying fellowship, and we have before us the prospect, an open, wide open door for effective service has been opened to us by your grace. And so we trust you now to help us. Please do so in Christ's name we ask. Amen.